0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Pittsburgh podcasting network. I am your host and moderator, Tom Reed, joined as always by Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari, uh, the TV analyst voice of the Penguins. Bob Eary, a two-time Stanley Cup champion, will be along with us a little bit later. He'll be our guest today. So a lot to get to and, and Hey, it's nice. We got a little bit of news. Uh, Teddy Bluger, uh, has, uh, re-upped with the club two years, uh, $2.2 million a year. And a question that we will answer or have Taylor help answer in the next couple minutes is whether who's going to pay for that. Is that going to be the Penguins or the Seattle Kraken? Uh, but uh, another thing that is just up on our site, uh, it, we're recording here early Thursday afternoon. Uh, our Dave Molinari uh, spoke with Ron Hextall and uh, had some interesting things to say. Uh, Dave, kind of give the readers who have not had at least had a chance to read your story yet kind of where Hextall is with this team, with the makeup of the team, maybe some thoughts on Tristan Jari, and possibly what could fans look for in maybe some contract talks with Chris Letang uh, in the coming weeks and months?
1: Well, I mean, the, the bottom line of it was that Hextall said that as uh, as things stand now, uh, he doesn't anticipate making any Profound changes to the uh, the makeup of this team uh, going into next season, uh, specifically on Tristan Jari. He gave him uh, what I think you'd have to consider a very strong vote of confidence and uh, seemed to make it pretty clear that uh, the Penguins plan to uh, proceed with, with him as their go-to goalie. And as for uh, Letang and Malkin, both of whom are going into the final year of their contracts, uh, he said that uh, the Penguins have been doing some research to kind of prepare for negotiations with those two, but that talks probably won't begin in, until sometime after the Penguins at least get through the, the early stages of, of free agency uh, you know, in August.
0: Yeah. Uh, Taylor, I think we, we, we discussed in the past here when we when we discovered the severity of Malkin's knee injury and the time that he would miss that his contract probably if, if whatever whatever re-up they're going to do with him probably will be later in the year, just probably both parties would rather see them decide where his value is and how he's playing before they ink any kind of uh, deal. Uh, but with Latang, uh, would you be surprised if a deal isn't done sometime before the start of the regular season? It's, it's just this feels like something uh, that could be announced on like October third before the season starts. Or am I, or am I overstepping it there?
2: I don't know. I, I think with him, uh, part of that is you know he, he kind of has to prove himself to just like for what kind of deal he's gonna get. Um, if he's going to take any sort of a pay cut or what kind of, like, we don't know what he wants. If he wants, like, a couple of years, like, like term, um, you know, he, he would probably, he would have to, we'd probably have to wait till late, late, later in the season. Um, but I, I I don't think there's any real rush to get it done. Um, but, yeah, I think him and, you'd probably expect him to get him, one, an extension before Malkin. But I think both of them, you're probably looking at the second half of the season would make sense.
0: Dave, I don't want to give away too much of our interview with Bob Erie, but he did have a very, I thought, a very interesting, maybe one of those things where the fans say, yeah, but, but to hear Bob Erie say it, that, that uh, among that, the big three of this team, there's going to probably have to be some pay cuts. Uh, with a guy like Latang, assuming he does sign, uh, do you see it being maybe drastic as far as the number or perhaps the term I would think the term would not be that long.
1: Yeah, I mean you I don't see how you make a long-term commitment to guys in their mid 30s. Um, and I think he he and Malkin both are going to have to take pay cuts. I mean, it's you know, you you pay players for what you expect them to do, you know, during the the term of the contract, not for, you know, it, it, contracts aren't supposed to be lifetime achievement awards. You, you know, you aren't paying guys for what they did two or three years earlier. And, you know, neither of those guys, uh, is at, is at the peak of his game anymore. So, you know, I, I you know, if, if they want to remain in Pittsburgh and there's certainly every indication that they do, I think they will uh, both be doing it at uh, reduced salaries in coming seasons.
0: Dave, I'll stick with you for one second do you see do you do you see uh again we'll stick with with latang again because with the injury of malkin there's there's so much uncertainty there do you see do you see a a a contract getting done at least early in the season or before the start of the season with latang and if it lingers does that say anything as as they cre- creep into the season that the two sides Uh, couldn't come to a deal because I think with Chris Letang, we pretty much know what kind of player he is, whether you love him or you think he is on the decline. I don't think there's a lot of secrets there.
1: Well, I mean, it depends on what kind of player Chris Letang thinks he is. You know, if he still thinks he's Chris Letang at his peak and, uh, you know, playing at his best 82 games a year, then he's probably going to be looking for uh, more money than the Penguins, uh, should be planning to give him. Um, you know, I think both sides would like to reach a deal. There's, you know, there's not a great urgency. It's not as if, uh, <clears throat> you know, he's uh, on the cusp of free agency here. But, I mean, it, it really does depend on how realistic the parties are in, in the negotiations. If if they're both willing to be flexible and and to try to find a middle ground, I don't think it will be too terribly difficult for them to reach an agreement, even if it doesn't happen, you know, in, in two days or anything like that.
0: Uh Taylor, as, as far as uh, Hextall's comments about Tristan Jari, he doesn't seem to have come too far, moved too far from what he said right at the end of the season. There's still a belief in him. Do you believe that that's what Hextall thinks or is that Really, kind of what he's saying right now to the public, and uh, kind of a boost of confidence. Or do you think Hexall really believes this is a kid that definitely deserves a second chance, and is going to uh, going to get it, uh, assuming they make the playoffs again next next spring?
2: I think it, it would be hard to say what Hexal's really thinking, just because he's, I mean, he hasn't been in the organization that long, so we it's, we're not really sure how he operates. He tends to keep things, you know, closer. Uh, to himself as well closer uh but i i would i would tend to believe that he, he he believes what he's saying about Tristan jari um because i mean we've talked about it before Jari is young there's such a you know small sample size and he has you know prefor- he has been really good in the regular season um so i I don't know if you know, you look at this past playoffs and you just write him off completely I think you give him another shot um so I think, you know, in this case, maybe Hextall is, you know, actually saying what he believes uh, and he is confident that Tristan Jari can rebound. Um, but it's hard to say just because we don't know Hextall that well yet.
0: Dave, what do you think the level of the franchise's confidence in is in, in, in Tristan Jari coming into a new season?
2: Well,
1: I mean, I'm willing to take Hextall at his word until he proves to us that we shouldn't take him at his word. Um You know, he's been uh, reasonably forthcoming and candid, uh, you know, to this point. And so, you know, until we catch him, you know, if not flat out lying then you know, being deceitful, you know, I will uh, continue to give him the benefit of the doubt eh, and assume that... What he says about Jari is an accurate reflection of his uh, his feelings. He certainly could have couched his support for uh, for Jari more than he did. Yeah, he, he was pretty uh, straightforward and uh, you know verging
0: on emphatic about it. So, uh, no, I will uh, I will take him at his word. It is such an interesting it is such an interesting time for these penguins, and I agree. I I, I agree with both of you guys. But it's it's an interesting time in that if if this team were just kind of on the come so to speak, uh, just made the playoffs last year, got bounced. I think there would be a lot more like okay, Tristan Jari, you know he can grow into it. Well, we've seen other goaltenders have bad starts. I think what complicates it is the fact that again, whether the window's open or it's rapidly closing or it's it's closed, or well, let's we for the argument is rapidly closing. You can't afford another performance from Tristan Jari, uh, which you got last year. So that kind of really ramps up the urgency for, for him and for the team to kind of get their act together and get beyond the first round for the first time in four years. And obviously, first you have to make the playoffs, and we'll see where that goes. Uh, another person where we we'll see where he goes is, is Teddy Bluger, as we led the, the, the show with Teddy Bluger. Uh, new two-year uh, 2.2 million per season. Uh, I'm right there. 2.2. Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Two, two uh, okay. But now the question becomes: uh, Is it going to be here, or is Seattle going to jump in? And we—I know you guys have heard us talk about this a lot, but it's—it's it's a very interesting uh, point. And then Taylor, you know, she wrote today in her uh, drive column about you know. Does it come down to Blueger or McCann? Uh, for, for those who haven't had a chance to read it, uh, lay out your piece for us, uh, Taylor.
2: It's so it's about the Blueger. Because of the Blueger extension, I guess you could look at it two ways. Like, does this do you protect? I, I, so the way I led with it is I think this means that they're likely to protect him. That might not be the case because it is a very reasonable deal. So I led with, you know, do you sign him to this deal because that just makes it more appealing. To Seattle, two point two per year. That's pretty reasonable for what he is. I guess you could look at it the other way and say this makes him. Maybe they could leave him exposed, and you know they want them to take him instead of you know McCann or Tanner or one of those guys. But I was I was working under the assumption that this means they're going to protect him, um, along with you know kind of the ones I think are given: Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, Rust, uh, Kapanen. So and and Bluger, So then you can protect seven forwards. So then that, that last spot it's at, it, between Tanov and McCann. Um, who would you protect? And I mean, there you could make the case for either of them. They're I mean they both bring very different things. Um, and I what I settled on is I I would have to protect McCann if it does come down to those two. I would protect McCann. I mean. He led the team in power play goals last season. He can play in the top power play unit and in the top six if needed. Um, and he's four years younger and $560,000 cheaper than the Tanev. I, I, you know, he's just a better asset. And as young as he is, I think he has the potential to grow into a um, a bigger role. So if the Bluger extension does mean they're going to protect him, I think that means that, you know, McCain is that last spot and you might uh, leave Tanev ex- exposed.
0: Hall of Famer, jump in there. Uh, you've... Bluger, TANF, uh, McCann, those three seems to be the ones that people have the most, I don't want to say trouble with, but certainly debatable, as, as Taylor laid out. Uh, where do you go there?
1: Well, I mean, I directly asked Hextall if uh, signing Bluger has an impact on how the Penguins would handle him in the expansion draft, and he very deftly dodged it. Uh, by, by saying no, it, it would not change, uh, their stance on him, but he did not say what that stance is. My guess is that they will replace him. I can't imagine, uh, that Hextall would have been looking to do Ron Francis's work for him by negotiating a contract, uh, for Teddy Bluger so that he could play in Seattle. Um, so I, I'm guessing that he will be on the, uh, on the protected list. And if it comes down to a call between Tanov and McCann, I go with Tanev. I you know, I have uh, very grave doubts about how effective he will be when he's at the, the end of the four years he has remaining on his contract just because of the uh, wear and tear that his style has. But I think he's uh, one of the forces that that drives this team that he provides an energy that it uh, it desperately needs. Um, so I, I think that if they were to lose him to the Kraken, it would be a, a a significant setback that that goes beyond that of you know losing a typical
0: fourth line winger. And it it, it in some ways it goes against everything that they have kind of been saying right uh, since they've gotten here, Burke and, and Hextall that that they want to be harder to play against they use I think size is the the word that, that gets thrown out a lot but let's be honest he plays a lot bigger than whatever he is i, I don't, I'm not even sure if it, his his measurements are accurate that, that they that they post uh i I don't know i i I think Tanif. i think I still i know what you're saying Dave but I could still see blueger I don't know that's a that's an interesting I would not want to lose brandon Tanif. But 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 you but Taylor, you raised the point about the power play goals, and that's important. Uh, I guess it does go down to the fact that they're probably they're going to lose a good player.
2: I so I mentioned it in in the story too that you know contracts really matter here. McCann, I mean, he's young. He has one year left on a, on his deal. He makes two point nine four million, and he's an RFA at the end. That's a very like appealing contract um, to Seattle. Um, and then you look so you look back at the Vegas draft and Vegas was willing to take on maybe players that you consider overpaid um, as long as they didn't have a lot of term left. So someone like Matheson, I, you know, they probably wouldn't wouldn't take because they have a lot of, uh, he has, he has like, you know, a couple of years left. Tanev, you know, some could argue that he is overpaid at 3.5 million. Um, and he, but he has four years left on that. So that might be a deterrent for, for Seattle, because if he isn't a fit there, um, you're stuck with that cap hit for another four years Whereas someone like, you know, um, Zucker, his 5.5 million cap is high, but he only has two years left. So, um, I mentioned in the story that maybe if you know you protect McCann, leave Tan exposed his contract, could be more of a deterrent than Zucker's is. So, maybe that could lead them more in the direction of Jason Zucker. I mean, we've talked about the merits of Seattle taking Zucker, that you oh. know, he has had you know what a 33 goal season before. Um, he hasn't been a fit in Pittsburgh. That doesn't mean he wouldn't be a fit there. So, you know, he might be worth them taking a gamble on. So, you know, that was part of my reasoning, too, of protecting McCann or Ratanav, that, you know, maybe that would entice them to take Zucker more um, just because of the way the contracts work out.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That's, uh, again, that's, that's, this is a shaping up to be a really intriguing decision they have. And as Dave always mentions, uh, if, if, if the, if there's another Brandon Taniff out there and uh, there are guys that certainly play with that kind of grit and they and they, they take him off that team then they're not they probably won't need two Brandon Taniffs getting started so it's very interesting it's it's good. And, and okay what what's the day what's what day is this as far as when when do they have to Cards on the table.
2: Saturday Saturday is when Lists are do. So if you're listening, this is good par podcast is going up Friday. So yeah, lists are due Saturday at uh, five PM.
0: Damn it, listen to the podcast beforehand.
2: <laughs> and I have to add, Freddie Goodrell can play PK. So here we
0: go. Here <laughs> we go.
2: <laughs> they have four, you know, if they re sign him, they re sign Aston Reese. Um I mean they have, you know, Fords that can play the PK. Um so yeah, I didn't.
0: Is. I haven't looked on the website. Are you listed now as Freddie Goudreau's agent? I, I have not. I am not looking at an updated list here. Now uh, you're certainly the merchandising person. The, the, you're gonna you're gonna make a mint on Freddie hockey. Well, he's around here in Pittsburgh.
2: His agent is Pat Berson, and as we mentioned before, Pat Bersan, he does take on all the big stars. You know, Sidney Crosby, Freddie Goudreau, so. Uh, he uh, he has a good uh, good setup there.
0: You also have some Pierre shirts out here. Pretty soon oh, you'll be shipping oh up God. to Ottawa, and then you're just.
2: <laughs> Regis McGuire is called <laughs> up here, so he seems French to me.
0: This has been a wonderful first first segment today. We've actually had news to talk about, some debate. All right, let's move on to the one of the things that we are doing in the off season, as listeners to the 60-87 podcast know, is we've kind of uh, taken it each day, well, a day on the podcast, and 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 play, given our kind of player evaluation uh, for that. Uh, That day and today is Kasperi Kapitan who's back with the organization this year. Uh, Had a a bit of a slow start, but I I, I thought had a pretty, you know, pretty decent season. Uh, But we'll let our experts weigh in. 40 games, 11 goals, 19 assists, plus 15. Uh, Didn't do much on the power play. Uh, One power play goal. Uh, Good speed. Uh, the kind of type of player that uh, you would think would endear himself uh, to the Mike Sullivan system, uh, Dave. Let's start with you. Uh, your your overview on on his uh, first season back with the club.
1: I mean, he had a decent season.
0: <clears throat> he certainly is
1: capable of more. Um, I think it's only reasonable that uh, the coaching staff and front office would expect him to contribute more you know, next season, he, you know, it it was difficult for him. He not only was coming to a new team, but, you know, his, his arrival in, into the country was delayed because of COVID issues. And, you know, so, you know, there were some uh, mitigating circumstances uh, for him. Certainly you know, his speed is a great asset. He has a nice shot. I don't see any reason that he can't be a thirty-goal guy mm. at this level, and uh, you know he seemed to have a pretty good uh, chemistry with with Malkin. Now, obviously, you know Malkin's status, especially early in the season, is uh, up in the air, but I think those two could uh, form a pretty effective partnership. Taylor, what say you?
2: Yeah, I mean, so it kind of reminds me of do you remember when Alex Galchenyuk came to the team, he, he, he told a story about, you know, how he showed up and he had all of his sticks. Um, and Malkin was next to him. Malkin tried out his sticks and Malkin really liked it. Malkin's like, these are mine now. Um, and he took some of Galchenyuk's sticks to use for himself. So when, you know, Cap the way this relates to and is like Kapanen was kind of brought and expected to be, you know, Crosby's winger, but then he fit really good with Malkin and it's like, Malkin's like, this is mine now. Um, and I mean, they really, the, their chemistry, the way it builds up over, over the season, the passes they were making, they looked really good. Now again, Malkin, like Dave said, probably not going to be ready to start the season. But um, uh, I mean, the, the offense he was putting up, he, you know, he said, you know, maybe he could be a 30-goal guy at this level. Um, his 11 goals in, in 40 games, that's on pace. Third. In a normal 82-game season, that's 23 goals. Um, that's a lot. I mean, this was by far his most, you know, successful season offense of, offense-wise. offense um, His past, you know, full-time, full NHL seasons, he was kind of at half a point per game. Um, this season, he was it was .75 points per game. I mean, that's a pretty significant jump. Um and he's still young. He could still keep. I mean, he's the youngest forward on the team. Um, of the of the regular, the guys who are regulars in the lineup. He could still keep keep improving. So, um, yeah. I'd even you know if he can't play with Malkin, uh, just start. I'd I'd be excited for for him next season to see what kind of steps he takes.
0: Well, in fairness, I mean, I mean, who that's a who can uh, break into the dynastic lineup that is the Toronto Maple Leafs? I think they've won <laughs> like four or five cups now. so uh, he may find it easier here in Pittsburgh. <laughs> we will move on. Uh, Roundtable coming up. Uh, oh, the Stanley Cup just took a beating this past week. Uh, we'll ask Taylor.
2: can I go ahead to... Taylor
0: go go ahead, just with, jump in there.
2: <laughs> with the cup. So we recorded that second segment already. Since then, Pat Maroon—I don't know if you guys saw—he did say how the cup got dented. Um, so, if you saw Tampa, their cup celebration got cut short uh, because of the rain. Um, it started pouring, um, and Pat—he—he he, he was on like ESPN radio or something—and he said he was carrying a cup and he was kind of running with it, and he fell. Um, and when he got, like he said he hurt his own back and he dropped the cup. So it doesn't sound like they're screwing around, but he ran with the cup and dropped it. So.
0: I think Pat Maroon once said about his own skill when he came into the league. And I don't know if it was said by Maroon or about Maroon. He said, I could stick handle in a phone booth if I could fit in it. <laughs> what a career, though, he's had. That, this is a guy that was about to be waived by the St. Louis Blues and other injuries. Kept that from happening, and since then, he's won three consecutive Cups. Great guy, good player. All right, we're going to move on. We'll talk about the Cup. We got Bob Erie coming. Don't leave us, and make sure you're listening to this before Saturday. We'll be back on the 66-87 to 87 podcast. Welcome back uh, to the 66-87 to 87 podcast here on the DK Sports Podcasting Network. Uh, it's, it's, it's our favorite time to, to, to go roundtable and kind of uh, have some discussions about some things around the league, around the Penguins, and we're finally starting to get closer to uh, some real action in the NHL. And I wanted to point out something today that uh, last couple of days that over at the Athletic, uh, Dom LeCision, who does a nice job over there, Kind of broke out, broke down the top fifty free agents uh, that are that will be available. Now, we're gonna, I, I want to discuss this a little bit uh, about some of the people. Obviously, the uh, the Penguins are not going to be in the market for a, a Dougie Hamilton or Gabriel Landeskog or anyone like that. But there, there are certainly some intriguing options near the bottom of the list or the or this, the bottom half of the list. Now. All this said, we have to say that we don't know who the Penguins are going to lose yet, or any of these teams are going to lose yet in the expansion draft. And in some cases, I I can see the name Casey Sezakis come up. That's on this list. Whether the Islanders would try to re-sign him, you'd think they would. But we're just going to go with the list today, and uh, because there are some 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 interesting names on there, and we'll start right there. Uh, let's start with if Taylor, if we, if we go by the thought of that the Penguins may lose a guy like Teddy Bluger, we talked about this the other day. That's a He certainly would be somebody I would think that, that Ron Francis would look at. All of a sudden, you have a hole there in what is a very good line. And, again, we don't know what the Islanders are going to do. I just want to know from your standpoint, would Casey Zizekas look good in a Penguin uniform?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's. It would be hard to see to imagine him leaving uh, New York at this point. Um, I think any team looking to improve their, their fourth line depth could uh, would welcome Casey Zelligas. Uh and especially in the case of the Penguins, since you know uh, if they do lose a forward, uh, especially if it's someone like Bluger um, uh, in to to Seattle, and what you're gonna Malkin probably won't be ready to start the season. That's what it's sounding like. Um, so I mean, that would, that would be nice, but, uh, it, I, it would just be hard to, to see him living in uh, New York.
0: Yeah. But uh, now, again, like, like a lot of teams, they have cap issues themselves. Uh, so uh, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be an interesting offseason as far as what teams can do and what they can't do. Um, uh, in, in regards to free agency. Um, another guy that kind of, uh, a friend of the show let's let's go on the back end for a second uh any interest uh dave and a guy like ian cole you we you would you would talk about before the uh uh, before the trade deadline one of the things you thought the penguins could add is it's just a little bit more of a grit back there certainly a good shot blocker uh had a tremendous season two years ago in, in colorado and last year was part of the turnaround there we had him on the show he certainly didn't sound like he was for sure going back to Minnesota.
1: Uh, no, I mean, uh, any anything the Penguins do <clears throat> is going to be dictated by money. Right. I mean, they have very little cap space to work with as it is, and uh, you know, perhaps there will be a, a nice chunk of it opened up if uh, if they would lose, say, Jason Zucker to Seattle in the expansion draft. That might give them a. A little more flexibility to explore the market, <clears throat> but if they, uh, you know, if they would lose Zucker or Bluger or any other forward, it means they wouldn't be losing Marcus Patterson, uh, which means that unless they would move him in in a separate deal, they really don't have a pressing need on on defense. So I, I'm not sure that prioritizing somebody like Ian Cole. Uh, would be a prudent move on their part certainly all things being equal if they didn't have to worry about money and if there was uh, an obvious space for him yeah i think he would be a nice guy to to add to your your defense uh, you know in a in a nice blue collar role
0: yeah uh taylor him or a guy like david savard who just won a cup in um in in tampa has played had a really good run in with the Blue Jackets interest in either one of those guys uh, to, to to maybe help them fairly affordable I would think both guys would be fairly affordable depending on who ends up leaving as the the, the way Dave laid that out uh, possibly if Pedersen gets moved is is that someone that makes sense to you uh,
2: Savard to replace Pedersen I would say no just because Savard uh, is a righty. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if may, if you know, if maybe they can't, I would say maybe if they can't bring back Cody Cece, but I can't imagine that I, their, their their cap hits would probably be about the same at this point. Um, Cece and Savard. So Savard, I would say no, but I mean, Cole could re, he could you know replace Peterson if they do end up moving out uh, Petterson because he and Cole he is left-handed and he does. Um, play the left side. He can also fill in on the right side too. You could be that, that kind of depth. But, um, if we're talking about replacing Pedersen, if Pedersen goes out, I mean, Cole over Savard, um, uh, I, I don't know. Ian Cole, he did, he did tell some news on the show. He would, you know, ideally he said he would love to go back to Minnesota, but you know, they have a lot of cap issues now. They did just buy out. Um, they just free up with the buyouts. Uh, right. On Tuesday. So I don't know how that affects things. Um, you know, if he would uh still be able to th- to go uh, to Minnesota, I don't know what what their their the rest of their free agent plans look like. But um I again I wouldn't rule in Cole going going back to Minnesota. So
0: okay. Uh two other guys that uh going back to the forwards that uh I would have some interest in. Uh we'll start with Joel Armia, who fans just got to watch Armia play. Uh, with the Canadians, they made the deep run, obviously all the way to the cup. Uh, and, 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 and Nick Felino, who, uh, uh, was traded to Toronto that didn't work out well, but when you're talking about maybe trying to add something to your forecheck, I think both of those guys are players that would, would possibly be in there. Uh, also, you know, a guy like Blake Coleman, although I don't know if they would have the money to make that kind of move. Dave, any of those three appealing to you?
1: Um, I mean, I, I like Armia. If if they don't lose a center, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, that, that bringing in a guy like him would, would be a priority. Right. Um, again, you know, they, they don't have the luxury of, of hoarding capable bodies. You know, they, they just don't have the, the cap space to do that. Um, Foligno, I, I you know, I don't know what he has left. I'm not suggesting that he doesn't have enough left. I'm saying that I don't know, right. you know, uh, whether he does en- enough to, to have a valid opinion about him.
0: I think it would be a short term. If you were going to sign Nick Felino, I think that would
1: be a very short term deal. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, Blake Coleman, I think a lot of teams would like to, uh, to add a guy like that, but I don't know how many are going to have the cap space that would be uh, necessary to do it. I, he's he's not going to come cheap
0: no and winning two cups uh, Goodrow's also available yeah uh, but so both of those uh, guys who came in a couple of years ago and won two cups with Toronto or I'm sorry with Tampa are both free agents uh, you have to think that as Tampa starts to try to hold on to their core players those are the type of guys that are going to shake loose. And probably be elsewhere next season. That's why I thought we would bring him up. The group of forwards we just, the cluster of forwards we just talked about there, Taylor, any any interest in in, in any of those guys like Armia, Felino, the like?
2: Uh, it, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, if we're talking centers though, Nick, Nick Benino is also. Um, oh, no, you saw that
0: name, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, he's, because I've been looking, you know, Cap Friendly, is they have, uh, if you look on their homepage, they do have a, um, pretty good, uh, you know, lists of of the unrestricted free agents and then all their, you know, stats and what they made last year all in one place. But, yeah, Nick Benino stands out, um, I think, because he did play here. But then, um, I mean, if we're talking about potentially getting bottom six center depth, depending on who they lose to the Kraken or just because, you know, uh, Malkin might not be ready to start the season and you might have, you know, Carter playing uh, second line center, just having that depth, I think, would, would help. And I think... Benino, he hasn't. He's not, you know, the the same exact player that he was when he was here before. But he's he's still, you know, useful.
0: That uh, they've kind of been searching for that that the Nick Benino ever since he's left, haven't they? And I wonder if Nick Benino, kind of in his heart, wonders uh, he certainly got paid. You so say you're never going to turn down money, uh, but that was a marriage that really seemed to work well together. Dave, again, if if you end up losing a center in the in the expansion draft in Teddy Bluger, would you kick the tires on Nick Bonino?
1: Uh, I mean, he's a guy I would consider. Um, again, you know, as a guy I haven't seen much of since he went to the Predators. I don't know that I'm ready to pass judgment on, on him today. But, you know, his, certainly the... You know, the the core of his game fits the role that you you would envision him taking on if, if he were to return to the Penguins.
0: Yeah. Uh, Taylor, a name that, that you have mentioned several times on the podcast, uh, especially right at the end of the season. Uh, certainly, goaltending has been a red-hot issue after the way things ended last season uh, with Tristan Jari. Uh, Linus Omark is one of the guys who are free agent. Olmark, who is big, who's often hurt, <laughs> uh, but is pretty good when he's in the lineup in front of a really crappy team. Uh, any interest in there or or the kid or the guy in, in Florida who's also available?
2: Yeah, uh, Dredge, you're both of those. Those are really the two big uh, UFA goalie names on the market. And you got guys who could still, you know, uh, contribute, I think, but with both of them, there's um, the the risk of, you know, Seattle taking either of them to, to be, you know, like a, a backup or a 1A, 1B, but um, uh, Allmark, yeah, I would I would lean towards, I mean, if, because Jari is, is going to be back, Jari is going to be the guy, but if they can have a better guy behind Jari to maybe uh, share more of the load than the Smith did, or, and just to be there, he could push Shari, but then also insurance. So if you know you do get to the playoffs and he does start to falter, you you definitely have a, a backup that you'd be confident in. If, if you could upgrade the backup, um, maybe more confident in than you would be with the Smith. So uh, I yeah I I would I would look at that, and see what you know what kind of market it is for them if if they are available and they don't go to Seattle.
1: I don't know that either of those guys has any more of a playoff pedigree than Casey DeSmith does. Well, that was, I was just
0: going to ask you, would you, is, is, do any of those guys interest you or would you just stick with DeSmith in this, in, in, in in this conversation? Yeah. I mean, if they are committed to, to sticking with
1: Jari, then yeah. I mean, you know, they, they've got DeSmith for another year on a, on a decent contract. Um, I don't know, you know, I have nothing against Allmark or Dreger, and you know perhaps they would thrive in a playoff environment but that you know that's an unknown at this point. So I I don't think you would bring either of them in, you know, in, you know confident that that you know they would give you significantly more than Casey Smith could.
0: Yeah. Well, it's all going to start as we, was we mentioned, uh, it's been a long, it just seems like a long summer already and we're, we're barely into the midpoint of, of July, but again, things are going to start heating up. Dave and, uh, Dave and Taylor are going to have a lot to start writing about here in the, in the next week or so. Um, as we know, the Stanley cup was just awarded and not long after it was award, awarded, uh, to the Tampa Bay lightning and headed to Montreal, but not for the Canadians to party with, but for repairs to the Stanley cup, the the, the cup was dented. I mean, by now I'm I'm sure fans have seen the pictures of the cup. Uh, It was dented uh, in celebration uh, with the lightning and it's just the latest in the colorful uh, saga of the Stanley cup and the abuse that the cup has taken over the years from, from, from people eating dogs or feeding their dog out of the cup to bathing their kid in it. Uh, there's just no end to some of the indignities our fair cup has suffered. And Dave, I know this is something that, 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 that bothers you, and I, I'm not saying and I don't agree with you on this one. Uh, when you see something like this and see the damage to this thing that these guys kill themselves over to try to win, what goes through your mind?
1: Well, I mean, I, I honestly don't get it. Uh, this is, you know, a trophy that that these guys claim to revere, to cherish, that they've made it their life's work to pursue, you know, and, and then they use it as a porta potty for their children. They smash it. They send it to the bottom of swimming pools. Um, I honestly, I, I don't get it, and I, I am guessing I have a more extreme position. Uh, Than most on this, I've actually been fortunate enough to be near the trophy several times, but I won't touch it because that's something I figure should be reserved for the people who actually earn it. Um, So as as I say, I I recognize that my view is probably beyond that of most people, but I I really don't understand, you know, abusing it the the way that, that teams do,
0: including the Penguins. Well, we're going to have Bob on here shortly. We will ask him as well about that and has his views of the cup changed over the years. Uh, Taylor, this is uh, your thoughts on on this. Uh, We, we already, we had Nikita Kucherov uh, last week and in in his uh, post-game airing of grievances. And now we have more news out of Tampa with the cup getting dented. Where, where do you fall in line here? Funny or enough of this, enough treatment of, Poor Stanley.
2: I mean, the, the cup, you know, taking abuse uh, is dates. That's the tradition that take dates back longer than the league's been around. Um, I mean, the, the earliest one that, that I know of is uh, when an Ottawa player in 1905 punted it into a canal. I mean, it was smaller than, um, and I mean, and that was intentional. A, a lot of this stuff since then, either we don't know how it happened or it's definitely not intentional. I mean, it, it definitely, it, it Needs repairs often. I mean, the the Capitals they had it dented in uh, 2018. Um, I mean, the if you look back at it, it was either 16 or 17. There's a picture of Matt Cullen holding it uh, in some kind of celebration, and it's dented at the bottom. So I mean, the Penguins and you know the most recent one, I don't think they're doing it intentionally. Um, it's 35 pounds. If it gets knocked over, if it falls over, it's gonna you know get dented. Um, well, there are a couple of the, like uh, in 2011, one of the Bruins had it. Um, and there's video of it. It was like he was having a big, you know, media day, and they came. There's a table set up for him, and he goes out and he puts it on the table, and the table collapses under the weight of it, and then it, you know the bowl gets dented, kind of, and it looks. It fell on its side, so it looks like the the way the Tampa one did. Now you look at the video. I mean, that was definitely not you know reckless or anything he did on purpose. So uh, I mean, that happens. Well, uh, in '08, the Red Wings dented it. It fell off a table at, at a restaurant uh, at the party. So there are definitely a lot of like unintentional ones. We don't know how, how the Lightning did it, but I mean, there are far worse things that have happened to it. Um, I mean, in the '60s, the Leafs dropped in a bonfire. The management from the 1940 Rangers burned the the mortgage. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think that one karma karma took over and said, "You want to do that? Here, wait 54 years so you win another one."
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, Mark Messier. I think multiple times he was like personally responsible. His days of the cup with uh, uh, really damaging it. I, I know in, in the eighties he took it out um, to a to a strip club and left it like on the stage for like the dancers to like interact with, and uh, it had a lot of damages by the end of the night. And he took it to an auto repair shop. Um, I just thought the reaction on Twitter was funny. It's a lot of, like, fan, like, it was, like, Montreal fans, like, you know, this would never happen in Montreal, but, like, there are several stories of, like, this happening when the Canadians had the Cup, or or people saying, like, individual players, like, the one I saw was, like, Steve Eiserman would never approve of this. I don't know why Steve Eiserman came to mind, but um, uh, Steve Eisenman, when he had the the Cup one one time, he... I ready tied a rope around it and took it out on a chess ski. Um, so <laughs> it's like every anecdote of like all the, like any, any of these pearl clutching takes, like, oh my God, this person or this team would never, it's like, you can probably find an anecdote of that happening. It's I mean, all the, all the post cup celebrations get out of hand and uh, all the work that goes into it. I, um, I
0: honestly believe there's a stunt. Cu- I believe there's a stunt cup. I've always well, had the Jackie Chan of, 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 of trophies needs a stunt cup.
2: Well, there's three. There's the original, the original bowl was getting too thin, so that's in the Hall of Fame, like, the what the one, yeah, that's in the Hall of Fame, it's not attached to anything, but then, if you go, like, right now, if you go to the Hockey Hall of Fame, there's the cup there, that's the um, permanent one, I... There's that, and then the one that the players get and take around all summer, that's called the Presentation Cup, um, and there are some slight differences off the top of my head, I don't remember, but, like, there are some mistakes um, on the original engravings of the cup, or, like, names that shouldn't be there, like, misspellings, um, and then on, I believe it's on the Hockey Hall of Fame Cup, the, the one that the lives there permanently, um, those are corrected. Um, and I think on the presentation cup, the ones that the players actually get. So I, I, what is the real cup? I don't know. There are two and, uh, they do different things, but, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's been, it's been through a lot. And I think that's one of the cool things about it. Um, you know, it's not like it, there's, there's one that the players get, um, and it, it's been through all this. I think that's, that's a cool part of its story. Like the Lombardi trophy, Why well, you get a new one every year, there's no, like, real history behind the, the trophy you're holding. Um, but the Cup, I, I think it's one of the cool things about the league. Uh,
0: my favorite uh, trophy story is George Costanza dragging it around the back of his car in the Yankee parking lot, trying to get fired. But that's <laughs> a story for another time. All right, when we come back, uh, we will be joined by Bob Urie and we will ask him about Cup abuse as well. Stay with yes. us on the 66 to 87 podcast. Cast. Welcome back uh, to the 66 to 87 podcast. And as promised uh, the television analyst does a great job uh, on television with Bob Airy is here. And also just as relevant in this conversation, a, a Stanley cup winner in Pittsburgh, a two time Stanley cup winner in Pittsburgh. And the cup is in the news again this week. And not just that Tampa Bay won it, uh, but, a, but a, a trophy that takes all kinds of abuse, uh, through its history, uh, dented this week as we mentioned in the last segment, uh, going to Montreal for repairs. Uh, Bobby, you guys uh, kind of legendary. What happened when you guys celebrated with a cup? Uh, can you for for listeners that may be a little bit younger that don't remember uh, the '91 and '92 cups? Uh, how was it? How did you guys celebrate with it?
3: <laughs> yeah, I guess it's how did we not celebrate with it because uh, everybody <laughs> everybody had a lot of fun. Uh you know once we got home and and got a little bit settled after the initial celebration on the plane and with uh, our significant others and and everybody else on the team um it might have been a day or two later we were over at lemieux's place in his his pool with the cup and we certainly dented it there it ended up on the bottom of the pool and you know we um after that everybody had had their turn with the cup and you didn't have like nowadays you have a guy uh, that that Uh, comes along and uh, brings the cup to your place to make sure that it uh, doesn't get stolen or something. I actually went to Toronto, went to the old hockey hall of fame with my buddy and we picked the cup up and it was in kind of a, uh, a coffin like uh, (laughs) thing. We, we, uh, we didn't even check. We, we were halfway home from Toronto to Peterborough, my cottage uh, residence. And on the way we stopped at a, uh, at a subway just to make sure that we it was actually in the back and we got it home and you know it was, nobody was following us we could have done whatever we wanted we stopped at a couple of bars on the way home we we had a we had a huge party uh on the lake and 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 everybody took pictures there that we we still look back at to this day so we had a lot of fun with that cup
0: uh was when was that different i mean now obviously you've been fortunate enough to still stay with the team uh you've seen these guys party with it i know if- Phil Pritchard, I think, is the keeper of the cup.
3: When did do you remember when that kind of changed? Where it, it the cup had a chaperone? Yeah, I think it was when Dallas won it because I know uh, my friend on the lake, Dave Reed, uh, had the cup up there after Dallas won it in the late '90s, and and he was up there with it then. So he he had the white gloves. He was, uh, you know, he was looking after that cup, and uh, I think it changed probably, uh, you know, in the mid '90s. You know, '95, '96 is probably when when they made the switch, maybe, maybe we forced them to make the switch after we uh, we had too much fun with it back then. Maybe they really were worried that it uh, it was going to be misplaced.
0: Does that, does does what happened with the cup this week? Does that, as a player, I mean, you, again, you guys had your fun with it. Do you worry that it some, something goes sometimes a little too far with that, or it's just, it's the tradition of the cup? No, I think.
3: You know what? I was really excited to see the way they uh, celebrated with that cup. I think that's the way you have to do it. That's what, uh, you know, and and especially to see other people not uh, from other continents uh, celebrate with the exuberance that we did here in North America. I mean, you know, we grew up, uh, you know, in North America wanting to win the Stanley cup. I'm not sure, you know, guys like Kucherov, if they were trying to win Olympic golds or world championships, number one, or if they always thought about winning the Stanley cup. So, I you know, I guess they showed us uh, this week that it was just as important to them. Um, You know, regardless of where you're from, uh, the Stanley Cup is the ultimate trophy in sport. And I'm glad they celebrated the way they did. And, you know, I know they have a couple of some carbon copies. That's probably not the original that they have all polished up in the Hockey (laughs) Hall of Fame right now. So, um, you know, I know it got dented up a little bit. They'll get it fixed, but it won't be the first time.
0: (laughs) All right. Let's go a little bit back into your career. Hey, when you had Steve Eiserman as your center in Petersburg, did you realize at the time how good his career
3: was going to turn out to be in the NHL? Yeah, I don't know. You just never know, but uh, you know, I mean, I knew he was uh, a cerebral hockey player. He was uh, not one, not one dimensional. I I knew that he was, you know, he was a Crosby type player before Sidney Crosby. Um, He was a guy that, you know, if you gave him a hard time, he'd give it back. He was a guy that would never cower. He was a guy that was tough as nails. He took boy, he took a beating back in the day when we had to play the Oshawa Generals and in the playoffs. And, you know, I remember in the closing game against the Generals one year when we, we didn't move on. Um, you know, his you know, his half his lip was ripped off, to be quite honest with you, with a high stick. I mean, they went after him. It was brutal, but you know, he didn't he never shied away from anything. Um always a character type player and, um, an ultimate competitor. And one of the fiercest competitors I've ever seen play the game, a guy that had to rebuild his knee, uh, and really it didn't matter. You couldn't stop him. He was a guy that, um, you know, that Sidney Crosby looks up to that a lot of players like to emulate. And for me, one of the best two way players ever to play the game. What a, what a competitor. I don't know how his uh, didn't know how his career was gonna end up. It looked for a while there that they were gonna move him from the Detroit Red Wings, maybe back to Ottawa near his hometown, but um, it didn't uh, that didn't happen. He stayed and and uh, the rest of his history.
2: Skipping ahead to your, your time in Pittsburgh, just what was your initial reaction to being drafted by a franchise that was really struggling, you know, on and off the ice when you joined it uh, in, in the eighties?
3: Well my initial reaction was uh, they're so bad that I got a chance to make this hockey team. <laughs> That, that's what I thought, you know, I'm a 18, 19 year old coming into a situation where I can get a chance to play because, uh, you know, they need, they need to fill some holes. Um, you know, it turned out that it was a struggle right from the get go from me. Um, you know, after the first game, it was kind of downhill ever, ever since, uh, hard to score goals. Um, you know, I just didn't really have the attitude, the game or the skills, uh, you know nor the mindset to really get it done so it really it took a lot of trial and tribulation um quite honestly i didn't think uh, it was going to work out for me I, I was in baltimore for a couple of years so they really had no plans for me um i got lucky uh, when when i was called up in about my third year when the team was going bad again and uh my first shift they put me with lemieux and I scored two goals in 14 seconds and and that was it and just uh I was very fortunate. I was very lucky, um, and uh, you know, like I said, uh, I grew a lot in the ten years that I played in Pittsburgh. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but it, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd wish it upon anybody either. Those first five years, they were uh, they were real, real hard, real brutal, and uh, I was looking to do something else.
2: <laughs> looking ahead to that that '91 uh, team, when did you realize that that team was a serious contender to win the Stanley Cup?
3: Um, I'm not so much from that, you know, I think that team had been starting to build itself around 88, 89. When we looked like we, you know, all through the trial and tribulation, we end up losing to Philadelphia, but, uh, you know, in the playoffs, but it just, it continued on and the team grew with its belief. And then all of a sudden, you know, we added some, some older players, some, uh, some past champions, uh, you know, we had become a resilient hockey team, a team that, um, you know, had Marilyn Mew on it, the best player in the game. So surrounded him with some players, realized we had to play defense, high-scoring team that realized they finally had to play defense and get their noses dirty to get things done. Because, uh, you know, sooner or later, you can't outscore anybody. And and that team, well, I don't know what to say. I mean, yeah, we did win 8-0 in the final <laughs> game against Minnesota, but there was a zero on the other end, wasn't there? So, you know, we we proved that we could play defense too.
2: Do you have any favorite Yager stories from that that first year, his first year in North America?
3: I don't know. I just I (laughs) you know I remember when he came in and and Rick Hill was working with him, and he didn't look like he could even raise the puck for crying out loud. You know, he could skate. He was he held the stick differently. He had the long hair. He just didn't. uh, He was a different breed right from the start. But uh, (laughs) boy, did he uh, did he prove everybody wrong? And he was you know he just had he wanted to do things his way, and he had a way about it you know he was pretty quiet the first year he knew how to fit in with a with a group of elder uh elder statesmen if you will but uh you know he was uh, he he became quite a leader in his own way and uh, one of the best puck protectors and stick handlers I've ever seen in the game
2: you you touched on the the additions uh the team made that year you know through terry just just how big uh were was the, were those you know those guys coming in what kind of impact did they have uh you know right away
3: which one sorry
2: just, just you—you you mentioned that the trades uh, throughout the year. Um, yeah. just how yeah. big, how big were those?
3: Well, they are. I mean, you know, you think you can win with the with the guys you got, and we did have good players, but you don't trade good players like you know Johnny Collins, and unless you, you know, you can't get good players back. And uh, boy, there's a lot of a lot of people weren't happy w- with that, including the players that were playing on his line, like the Reckies or the Kevin Stevens. But uh, you know, I guess it's 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 not always about being comfortable and uh, sometimes you got to get out of your own skin and sometimes maybe somebody has got to, got to give you a, you know, a pat on the back or sometimes it's a little more than that. You know, sometimes it's a little whack to get you going and, and you know, Craig Patrick wasn't afraid to make a move. Our team needed a little bit of a shake up. Um, I just think we just needed to be stronger, defensively harder to play against. And, you know, when you add guys like uh, Samuelson or Francis guys like that, you just, all you know, that's what you're getting right away. You're getting tougher to play against uh, in both those players. You're getting uh, some leadership and, you know, you're saying you can give up uh, maybe a power play goal here and there for, uh, for, a you know, a big penalty kill or, or somebody that can, uh, somebody that can bop somebody on the other team in the nose. And that's what we needed. I mean, we went against Minnesota at the end and they tried to absolutely um, everything they could. I mean, seriously, you know, short of, short of going to jail, watch you know you look at some of those games now you you know people are talking about the games this year in the playoffs take a look at the game some of the final games that we played against Minnesota that was brutal yeah
2: dave dave
3: uh, Bob, yeah, oh yeah I got I
0: got I got a I got a quick question here on the on the trades one of the trades that you know again this was the kind of the anniversary of, of the cup winning trade and everyone obviously focuses on the Francis and Samuelson trade, but, but since Taylor asked you about, uh, bringing Yager in, how much did bringing Herdina in help with Yager and just maybe the homesickness and help him and, and Herdina ended up, ended up helping me. I think he scored a game seven goal. How much did that little trade help you guys?
3: Well, you know, those things are big. Yeah, those things are big. Um, you know, Yager was young and, you know, he's, he's, he was kind of freewheeling it, both uh, on the ice and off the ice. I think you need a, a you know, you need a little bit of, of a mentor there. I think Herdina was somebody you can talk to and somebody you can, you know, rely, rely on in both off the ice and on the ice situations. Uh, I thought Herdina was fantastic. I thought he was a great hockey player. It wasn't just what he did, obviously, for Jager, but it was really for the rest of the team. I mean, he always had a smile on his face and what a hockey player he was I and mean, a great two-way hockey player. He could do a lot of things for us. Um, every time I see him, I, I, it makes me feel good And you know, just the way he, he was with people, a people person. Um, you know, he could have been a real good coach, uh, in the, in the league. Um, he was easy to talk to. He had an angle on everything. He was very worldly. I mean, you know, I love people like that. And, uh, and that's what he brought he brought all of all of those things and more
1: Bobby everybody remembers or at least everybody who's old enough remembers 91 for for you guys winning the cup. Uh, what I think tends to get overshadowed a bit is that a couple months before that you guys won a division for the first time in franchise history. How big of a deal was that to you guys at at the time that that you finished first in the Patrick?
3: Yeah, I I think all those little stepping stones, Dave, are, are very important. I know I mentioned earlier, you know, eighty eight, eighty nine, how I you know I thought that was a you know a good turning point for the franchise. Just looked like we could compete. I think all those road uh, those kind of roadblocks that you knock down along the way, you know, that next the next step you get to, I think you need that. You see that with a lot of teams. Uh, I mean, a lot of teams I played on were like that. The Detroit Red Wings in the in the mid nineties, or even Tampa now. Even some of the Penguin teams, again, that have uh, that have gone back-to-back uh, just recently. I, you have to – I mean, you can't just go from the bottom to the top. There's got to be a kind of a, a progression along the way. And I thought that was another one, Dave, that was very important to win that Patrick division. I mean, those teams just – I mean, you know, can I say they absolutely just killed us for years? I mean, <laughs> win for 16 years in Philadelphia. I mean, that was brutal. Just, just winning a game there was a – was a step stepping stone. So everything you can do along the way, you break down those doors and that's what that team was able to do. Kind of in that
1: vein with, with the tough times you went through as a, as a team through the first five or so years of your career, was there a guy you played with who wasn't around when you, when you finally did win a cup who, who you wished could have been there? I, I, you know, the guys who come to mind are guys like Johnny Cullen or Roddy Boskus guys like that.
3: Yeah, that's a good point. Or Robbie Brown, you know, you know, because I like, I love Brownie. I, you know, I, I just, what he just, I just think he's an unbelievable hockey player. He's another guy that I could fit into that category that I wish was around. You know, he's a guy that brought so much to our line in 88, 89, um, just a great, really a cerebral hockey player that you wouldn't have known. He was able to come back and play with the Penguins in a different role. I listened to him on the Edmonton Oiler broadcast. I mean, he's unbelievable. One of the best – his insight into the hockey game, his angles of the way he looks at things. He's unbelievably smart. I mean, look at the numbers he put up in junior. Uh, you know, guys like – I would have loved him to be a part of it. Um, yeah, you get, that's a great question. You know, I'd like to uh, – Trying to think about some of the guys that, that I play with Dave that, uh, you know, that, that I would have liked to have been around. I mean, there had to be, there had to be some uh, as soon as I get off the phone with you, they're going to come to mind. I know that. And those are, you know, those are, but it's the guys that went through the tough times, you know, I am mean, I'm so glad that guys like Troy and Phil were able to stick around through those tough times. You know, there, I know there's other guys, you mentioned Rod Buskus who I still talk to to this day and, Met him in Vegas a couple of years ago. He's doing great in life and him and his wife. So, you know, um but those other guys, uh you know, those guys who went through tough times before that. Um, let me there's I know Danny guy like can you imagine a guy like Danny Heron? I love to see him around for a Stanley Cup. I love playing. Love playing with him, like a Jill Those guys were incredible. Like Rick Keel. I would have loved to win a cup with him. I was with him in the early early eighties. Uh you know some of the some of the great guys in the game that um, that you still you still bump into, and um, you know you you remember the good ones in the game, and then the other ones uh, you know they kind of come and go in your in your memory, but you certainly remember some of the good ones, and those are some of the
1: some of the great ones. Oh. and uh, turning the page uh, to to the current team, Bobby, do you think this group can seriously contend for another cup? And if so, you know, what has to happen to make that possible?
3: Well, they have to, you know, you can't be paying, you can't be playing three players, at least three players in their mid-30s. It might be four this year, the amount of money you're going to be paying them. I mean, somewhere along the line, if these players are going to stay with the Penguins, they're going to have to take a reduction in salary. I know, uh, you know, that that might be coming for one of them, if they're going to stay a penguin, but you can't, obviously you can't play, pay three players, you know, upwards of $10 million a year, um, you know, unless, you know, unless they're in their prime of their uh, careers. And uh, it's pretty hard to have three players on the same team that would be in the prime of their careers in their mid thirties. That's just impossible. So let's talk reality and realize that there's going to have to be, you know, you will look at all the teams that win and it's a, it, you know, they win because they win with four lines. So you can't be top heavy anymore in the game and expect to win. And you have to be able to filter some of those dollars down into your third and fourth lines. And it's going to be hard to do unless somebody's willing to take a pay cut on this current roster. You know, you're just going to have to make changes, Dave. I've said that for, I fought that for several years here now. I, I don't know what they're going to do here moving forward, but, um, you know, that's why you're a general manager in this league is to make the hard decisions. And, uh, you know um, you know, I think Jim made them prior. I thought he did a tremendous job here. I don't know why he had had to leave. Um, You know, that'll come out somewhere down the line if it hasn't already. But I, um, you know, these, this new uh, regime, they're going to want to put their stamp here on this hockey team and they're going to make changes. There's no question about it. I don't know what they're going to be. And, it could happen as soon as tomorrow, but there's going to be some there's going to be some changes made here. I don't know how drastic drastic they're going to be, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, if they make uh, if they make uh, one of those uh, blockbuster deals,
0: yeah. good stuff, Bob. We thank okay. you so much for for having you you on, and that is it. For this edition of the sixty six to eighty seven podcast uh, for Bob Airy and for our panel, Ter Haas. And Dave Molinari, this is Tom Reed. We'll see you next time on the 66 to 87 podcast.